Hey everybody, it's Neil. I just a quick note before the show begins. We recorded on Thursday, like we usually do, anticipating the antitrust hearing on Monday would go forth as scheduled. But late last night, we got word that because the legendary Congressman John Lewis would be lying in state in the Capitol on Monday, the hearing might be delayed a week or so, uh, so members of Congress can go pay their respects, which is totally uh, understandable. So just a big piece of information about the hearing. Wanted you to have it. On with the show. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to Virtcast, the flagship podcast of our nation's government. Would that be wild if we were the flagship podcast of the United States government? Uh, <laughs> I mean, at this point, we might as well be. I'm your friend, Neli. I'm here. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your uh, acquaintance. Oh, a little standoffish today. First name basis. We have a lot going on in the show today. As we speak, there is an Xbox Games preview. We're going to hand over the second segment of the show uh, to Andrew Webster and Megan Frokmanesh. You did a great job with the PS5 preview. So that'll be the second segment of the show. Uh, if you're listening to this, you realize the show came out a little late. We're giving them time to finish the event, and they're recording that segment later. Uh, so that'll be coming up in the second segment. And then right now, Casey Newton is here. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great. Nice to be here. McKenna Kelly is here. Hey, McKenna. Hey, good to be back. There is a gigantic hearing coming up on Monday in the House Antitrust Subcommittee. All four CEOs of Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple are going to show up virtually, face their interrogators. No, I think it's going to be a congressional hearing. But that's happening on Monday, so we got to preview that. There's a bunch of other uh, antitrust news and policy news to talk about, so we're going to talk about that with these two in a minute. But I want to start where we always start. My friends, it has been 19 weeks since Dr. Deborah Burks held up a flowchart next to Donald Trump promising a nationwide testing scheme built by Google. I'm vaguely worried that you've got the number wrong. I don't think you do, but I think it'd be safer for you to just call it umpteen weeks. I think I'm undercounting. I think there's a chance it might be 20 weeks, but I'm saying it's 19. The number is bad, and the testing situation in this country is bad. Uh, That leads me into virus news, which I always want to talk about because it is our priority. There are new COVID-tested testing strategies that could actually speed up some of the backlog. We're covering that. Uh, Eddie Robertson wrote an incredible piece about an urban legend that has basically sprung up about COVID parties. And people keep talking about them, but no one can actually prove that they're happening. And then just one kind of big thing. It's like the absence of coverage. The president has started doing daily virus briefings again. We actually chose not to. The first time he did them, we actually chose to not cover them directly. Um, I would say announcing the Google website and then there not being a Google website 
factored into this decision. But yeah, we're just we're just mad about that, and so we 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 bailed out on the rest. They of them. do not contain information, and we have a small <laughs> science team that works very hard. We have a small policy team that works very hard, and uh, being distracted by. Uh, theater is not what they want to do. So Mary Beth Griggs, our science editor, made that call. I fully support and believe in that call. Um, but that's just how we're thinking about it. But we do have some plans. I'm just like, I'm going to hint at this. We have some plans for some more organized and focused uh, virus and vaccine coverage in particular that I'm hinting at in the way that I hint at things to make sure that they happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But I think Fortunately, this one isn't on me. <laughs> yeah, Dieter has been assigned to a story, but I think I think it's a good way, and I, I hope it'll focus our coverage for you, the audience, a little bit more. The other gigantic story of our time uh, is obviously the movement for racial justice in this country that continues to have effects inside of our coverage. So, Snap, which makes Snapchat, is conducting an investigation after internal reports of discrimination. Facebook, this is actually a big deal. We, you know, we had Rashad Robinson from Color of Change on the interview show. Um, and he pointed out that you know he has many problems with Facebook. So Facebook, under pressure, is going to study whether its algorithms are racially biased. Um, and then Ubisoft, which makes any number of video games, uh, Megan Frickmesh wrote a, a great piece exploring how the problems inside of Ubisoft that are coming out uh, basically span more than a decade of issues. So just a lot of that news happening. We are very focused on it. I never want to uh, set it aside. But again, I, I say it every week, our audience tells us they're here for, for tech news. So... We're going to do that. But that's on the site. Go read it. It's all great. All right. I always make that shift like we're going to start talking about like iPhone features. And the first thing we talk about is like hardcore policy news. But here we are. <laughs> uh, McKenna, there is a gigantic hearing on Monday. It is fraught. It is going to be complicated. They're all remote. How's it going to work? Right. How's it going to work? So um, at this point, what we're expecting is for Mark Zuckerberg, Sundar Pichai, Tim Apple, and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> that just came out of my mouth. That's just actually how I refer to him now. Um, if, if we all remember uh, Tim Cook, Tim Apple, I, that was my scoop last year. Yeah. So Tim Cook, all these CEOs are going to be testifying before the antitrust subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee, and they're doing it via Zoom. Wait, that was my question. They should they should all do it via their own platform. So like when Sundar right. comes on and does it via Google Meet, it should be a total cluster <laughs> failure. Right. It should be via FaceTime and it's limited to like a number of people and all the bubbles change sizes and all it's an emoji. emoji. They should all be on their proprietary platforms. Right. So I, mean, I don't know. McKenna's like, shut maybe, up, Peter. Okay, cool. Um, no. <laughs> I, okay, so maybe I got ahead of myself. We don't know if it's Zoom exactly. It could be Cisco WebEx or whatever Congress is working on right now. But so yeah, so they're going to testify before the committee. This has been coming for a year. We've been waiting for something like this because the committee... It launched its investigation last June. So it's been a whole year of them looking for documents, um, interviewing experts and people like that. Um, and it's all culminating into this giant hearing on Monday where these lawmakers who have been engaged in this investigation for a very long time will be presenting this evidentiary record to the CEOs and hoping to get those CEOs on the record responding to what they found. I mean, just structurally, this isn't a we sell ads senator moment. They seem prepared. Right. So um, speaking to some aides yesterday, today, but for listeners days ago, um, <laughs> it sounds like they are really going to focus on what they have dug up. They said that they're laser focused on competition problems in hearings past. 
Republicans have gotten lost in the bias talk, have gotten lost in um, things that are not competition related. Um, but it seems like the committee really wants to focus on that. And they're coming prepared with receipts, seems to be the plan here, and asking for the CEOs to respond directly to what they found documents-wise. When you say competition problems, I, we were sort of talking about this in Slack a couple of days ago, that the through line here is that they operate marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that play out for each of the companies? Right. So I, I think that's something that will be exciting to see on Monday for sure. So the thing is, is that when you look at these companies, Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon, they all have different competition problems. You think the app store for Apple, Amazon, it's marketplace, Facebook, whatever acquisitions it's making or things like that. But um, from what I, I've heard, it, it seems like they've kind of identified some um, similarities in competition problems in that when it comes to all four of the companies. And I, I'm not hearing much more else about like what they found, but they will definitely like provide some kind of through line is what we're expecting on Monday, whether or not that's to guide some kind of legislative move or helping regulators in some way. Uh, but that's kind of where it stands right now. Yeah, I mean, this is my big question is... Do we think that the idea of marketplaces and like Elizabeth Warren kind of went, went for this as well is the right way to sort of tie all these companies together under like the idea that they all have the same problem? Because uh, there's like you're all too big, but that's like not enough to work with. Uh, but Google's problem of, you know, taking over its own search results is not exactly the same thing as Apple's problem of taking a 30% cut is not exactly the same thing as Facebook uh, owning every single way that people send put text on the internet um, and talk to each other. So I'm, I'm wondering, do you really think that, well, these are marketplaces and so they, therefore they compete with each other in the same way that, I don't know, Target has its own in-house brand is like the metaphor, is the right move to sort of tie all these things under one coherent rubric? For now, maybe just to get some, <laughs> just getting like some movement on the table, you know, do I think it's the most perfect way to go about it? Probably not. But Congress moves so slow. And in order to get any message across to regulators and other lawmakers, you need to provide some kind of through line, something that ties all this together to launch like some kind of, you know what I mean, reaction legislatively, however it ends up being in the end. Can I say how much I hate the Target House Brands analogy? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it's why. so bad and so reductive. Okay, so you walk into Target and you, first of all, when you walk into Target, you don't say out loud, I would like a t-shirt, which is what you say to Amazon. You go to Amazon and you type in the name of a product, right? Your interaction at Target is not that you walk into Target, announce that you want a t-shirt and literally have Massimo t-shirts <laughs> thrown in your face. It's such a high rate that you are not aware of any other t-shirts. No, what happens when you go to Target is you go there to buy dish soap and you walk out with $300 worth of shit in your but cart. But that's just because they're great to. retailers. They've just mastered the art of retail. Other brands like Procter & Gamble is like one of the biggest consumer products brand in the world. They negotiate heavily and win their negotiations to their favor with Target, with Walmart, with CVS about where their products go, what the markup is, which products ends up on the shelves, which products are promoted. They often manufacture the house brands for those retailers. So then inside of those manufacturing contracts, they that this is why house brands have generic labels, right? There's like all of the, this gamesmanship that suppliers and retailers have in a f open marketplace. Amazon is like, Man, it looks like that laptop stand is popular. We are now manufacturing our own laptop stand and putting it at the top of the search results. It is just a wide, like, 
I understand why it's a common metaphor that you can't whisper about antitrust on Twitter without like 5,000 people sea lioning the house brands metaphor at you. But it is just so deeply reductive and removed from what is in particular with Amazon actually happening. Well, also last year, their chief counsel went before Congress and said, we don't do that. And then reporting came out that they did do that. And they said, oh, that's bad. That's against our standards. We're going to look into it. Somebody is going to get in a lot of trouble about this. And then the same committee on Monday was reaching out. Hey, can Jeff Bezos kind of correct the record here? And then it was like a month of like push and pull. And finally, Jeff Bezos doesn't even have to testify on his own on Monday about all of this. Really? Wait, actually, walk us through that. So. Uh, you know, when you hear hearing, like, we've covered so many of these, you would think all of them are in the room together, they're tense, the lights are on them, they have paper, but they can't talk to anyone. They're sweating unless there's Botox involved. Like, what's the actual mechanics? Like, Bezos gets a friend? This is going to be so wild. Um, So, first of all, just the fact that you're doing it over video, I, I can't imagine, like, the Slack or Google Hangout or whatever the heck is going on where, like, people are feeding them answers in some way or doing yeah. whatever. Like, at this point, it's like, maybe they should screen share while they testify um, to know that we're not, like, cheating on a test. You know what I would do? Just real quick. Quick, this is what I would do. If I got asked a really hard question in this hearing, um, I would I would mute myself and then I would look like I was talking <laughs> for like two minutes while someone told me the real answer. And then I would unmute be like, oh my God, I didn't know I was on mute. I'm so sorry. Could you imagine being like a tech billionaire CEO and it's like, hey, sorry, I only get 25 down. Like, I can't, I can't do this. A really good prop bet would be how many times will someone say on Monday, you're on mute. <laughs> right. Oh, God. All right. So we kind of keep going. So they're all at home. We think they're going to have a back channel open. Like Congress has not mandated that they like run full screen video. Right. No. And it, it seems like so far we're still waiting to hear kind of what the layout is. It's so frustrating to have this like big hearing on Monday and we're still like, are they testifying at the same time? What? You know, software are they using all these things? So this is still coming out. It's not entirely clear. But like what we do know is that most likely they will all be testifying over whatever video conferencing tool we decide to use. We don't even know how long this could be. We don't know how many rounds of questions. This is all up to the chairman's discretion. So if we go through like two rounds of questioning and the chairman wants to do two more rounds of questioning, that could happen. There's just a lot of things we aren't entirely sure of what's happening yet. But they are appearing one by one. Uh, That is also not clear to me how that's happening. Um, It it just seems like it could be like a total nightmare mess. Like the idea that you get all these people in the same room and then it's just like all four of them and like addressing different ones at different times. I mean, the Mark Zuckerberg hearing like how many years ago was that now was a mess and it was just him. Like. (laughs) You know, so it'll be it'll be exciting to kind of see what happens, but also like frustrating. I mean, just last week there was like um, think tanks and advocacy groups that were like lobbying the committee to do like an hour of questioning for one person and then move to an hour of questioning. But right now it just seems like it's going to be one big panel. Wow. And and you're saying Bezos gets to bring someone with him? 
I don't know. It'd be weird if it's like a shot of like Bezos and like somebody sitting next to him. But I, I, I don't. I, it's not right now. I don't. I think everyone should be allowed to bring a champion, as in a Westerosi trial by combat. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think my feeling is that they, the CEOs, very strongly want to be on one by one. Right. They like they want to break. So I, I think they're pushing for that. The the behind the scenes politicking of this between the big companies and Congress has been. I mean, it, like McKenna said, it's taken a year. We don't need the hearing. The evidence here is that these companies are like are so powerful that they basically get to tell the antitrust subcommittee of Congress how they will appear. Like, like that seems weird, right? Like at some point, it's just like, no, 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 we're 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 the bosses. You you're just a CEO. Do what we say. Right. I mean, I think it's like important to note that no subpoenas have been issued in this investigation at all. Um, they were considering subpoenaing. Uh, Bezos because he was not going to talk. But from the people who I've spoken to, they haven't issued a single one. This is this has not been compulsory. It's all voluntary. Um, what that says about background politicking and their people talking to their people and all this stuff, I, it's not very clear if anything, um, you know, if anything substantial happened that way. But I don't know. It'll be it'll be exciting to see how everything plays out. And then, speaking of politicking, McKenna, you're usually way better on the actual politics of things. This is a bipartisan committee. It seems like the committee itself is not that like it's not mired in controversy or arguing, but like Congress is trying to like weasel its way into this thing that you're, you can't right. see McKenna, but she's rolling her eyes. What is going on there? Okay, so let's talk about it. So the House Judiciary Committee, you have a committee, every committee exists, and then there's subcommittees that are smaller groups of certain lawmakers who specialize in certain topics. So the Judiciary Committee has the antitrust subcommittee. The big House Judiciary Committee, all of them, which is a lot more than what's on the small little panel we'll see on Monday, um, those people want to talk really badly <laughs> about this. Um, Jim Jordan, especially um, Jim Jordan, who is known for drinking Mountain Dew first thing in the morning. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's like some kind of this like. This is a good character fact. I mean, I, I did that when I was 19. Yeah. It's like his go-go juice. There's like there's like some <laughs> mix in it. But anyways, I, I, I've read that's what he calls it. Um, anyway, so I'm just imagining like Jim Jordan hopped up on like Mountain Dew. Like, <laughs> I want to talk. I want to talk. Um, so him and a lot of those Republicans who are traditionally a little bit more populist, maybe, they kind of in the Josh Hawley-ish field of Republicans who um, want to talk about bias all the time. Those people exist on the broader committee. The only like Republican really that has been so outspoken on that, that is actually on the antitrust sub panel on Monday will be Matt Gates. So that's going to be like the class clown kind of character. Who <laughs> I think we'll have to like keep an eye out for on Monday. Um, so yeah, they on, I think it was yesterday, Jim Jordan and a bunch of Republicans on the broader panel asked Jack Dorsey from Twitter, you know, a large tech behemoth, uh, to testify. And when I asked Twitter, they're like, we're not commenting on this right now. So I don't think he's going to show up. Their line in that letter I mean, uh, it was like power in the marketplace of ideas because Twitter has no power in any other marketplace. <laughs> right. So that's what they came up with. It was so ridiculous. With. It was very good. Every, all the heat is on Twitter right now after everything that's happened with the president, having his tweets like flagged and 
having little notices there. So that's what they want to talk about, right? Um, but the people who are in charge of this hearing would have to do that, and they're not doing that. So <laughs> Jack Dorsey, all that is not going to happen. I mean, at least it doesn't unless Matt Gates somehow gets like an hour on the microphone and gets to say whatever he wants, but I don't think that'll happen. Well, I just, the reason I asked, I think it's important. To, it, we have been tracking this for a year, and like it hasn't exploded into some partisan controversy at least as far as we've seen it yet. And I think that's kind of a big deal. Like you have the four CEOs. There's not, there might be a little grandstanding in nonsense. Like it's Congress. It seems inevitable, but the idea that it's going to get fall totally sideways, they've managed to, it seems like they've managed to contain it. Right. And I think an important thing to note here too, is that when it comes to this hearing, We've only had, they've had five hearings throughout this last year to kind of talk to experts and stuff, but it seems like a majority of the work was happening, you know, in the background, not publicly. And this is when that year of work, this year of research and getting documents and all this stuff, this is where it finally comes into play on Monday. All of this work, everything that we haven't seen, why it's been so quiet in the antitrust sphere, that will all culminate on Monday, I think. And that's why this hearing is so important. So Casey, I want to talk to you about the sort of the companies involved. I want to start with Facebook. Everyone's always just the most angry at Facebook. What is their posture? Have you heard from them? Yeah. I mean, to the extent that this is going to be a straight up antitrust hearing, it's going to start where every antitrust argument starts, which is defining the market. Right. Like people like us, when we write about Facebook, observe that they have an effective duopoly in the digital advertising market. But you talk to Facebook and they'll say, well, actually, you know, the advertising market is much bigger and it also includes billboards and cable TV. And actually, <laughs> cable TV is basically digital advertising now. Right. And that you can sort of go down that rabbit hole with them forever, you know. And then when it comes to the acquisitions that they have made uh, and, and, and some of the anti-competitive actions that they have taken, like, you know, preventing Vine users from finding their Facebook friends on the app, which is a thing that they did, you know, on the acquisition side. Facebook will say, you know, look, we bought small networks that weren't that popular and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. I think what you're going to see them do is just come back over and over again to the fact that much of many of the things that people are mad about them for are not actually illegal. And if, and if you want to, um, to punish them, then you have to change the laws and, you know, maybe Congress will hear their testimony and will act. I think a lot of focus is going to be on those acquisitions. I think the question uh, you mentioned something to me the other day that um, I think is an idea from our friend Ben Thompson, that social networks should just not be allowed to buy other social networks. Is that something that like is that is there a purchase to that idea? Is that like are people grabbed onto that? Is that just you and I are like texting and we think it sounds great? I think that among tech critics who have an idea for the technology industry that does not involve um, burning down all of the companies and sending all of their executives <laughs> to jail, uh, which are a lot of the people in my mentions whenever I tweet about these issues, that, yeah, that's, that's like a really attractive option, right? A world in which Facebook had to compete against Instagram by building better products instead of just buying it, I think is a better world, right? It's one where we probably use better tools. Uh, there's just a huge amount of benefits to consumers that come from that. So I would love to see something like that really uh, fully explored. And, you know, to the extent that we can, I think we're going to keep vlogging that idea. All right. So that's sort of the Facebook side. And really, their marketplace is digital advertising, however that's defined. Is that, do you think that's the same for like Google? 
it, it that is part of it for Google. But for Google, I think the bigger question and the one that they're already in a lot of trouble for in Europe is the way that they bias their own search results in favor of their own products, right? Like if you search for a video, even if it was originally posted on Vimeo or Dailymotion, you're probably going to see the rip on YouTube first. And when you talk to Google about this, they'll say, well, look, our independent panel of raters found that they simply liked YouTube videos more. <laughs> and so that's why they're there. Uh, and this argument is not proving particularly persuasive to uh, regulators, I don't think. Yeah. Google also makes that same move of, well, if you want to define the ad market, we don't actually dominate anything because, you know, cable exists. Uh, they also have the problem of Android. Uh, they've been hit by the EU pretty hard. There's a browser ballot on Android in the EU now. They do a lot of bundling in a way that, like, everybody understands how bundling, uh, like, software works uh, in an anti-competitive way after Microsoft. So that applied almost one-to-one -to, -one to, like, the Android situation. Not exactly, but pretty close. And so the big, I think the big problem with uh, Google is going to be um, not trying to, like, go at all of the ways that they're too big and all of the ways that they like could be vulnerable to antitrust because there's just too many and like it would just turn into a like a vague cloud of badness and they need to be waste really specific on it. And you know, I, I think something that we should keep in mind is um, that in addition to this hearing that is going on, the Department of Justice, the FTC, and state attorneys general are all mounting separate investigations of both Google and Facebook. And that will continue no matter what happens on Monday, right? The the potential outcome from Monday is Maybe Congress decides they need to write some new laws about competition, uh, which, you know, I think would be great if they did, uh, if they were good laws. Um, but separately from that, you have these, you know, really high powered investigations that are ongoing. And we are told that at least one of those investigations into Google will arrive sometime this summer. So Google is actually the one who is in the most near term trouble with all this stuff. That's actually Congressman Cicilline has been on our show twice now, and he I think on both occasions reminded us like Congress has many powers, but breaking up companies is not one of them. So he might write some new competition laws. He might recommend a breakup to one of these agencies, but he can't actually do it. And I think, I think I'll just, I don't know. I was on CNBC today and they were like, is Congress going to break them up? And I was like, hold, they can't let's, let's talk about the, how the government works. And I, I think there's a lot of sort of pent up. This is a moment you're going to get the CEOs there. So that's Google. McKenna, you've been focused a lot on Amazon. I feel like I, I'm saving Apple for the end because everyone wants to yell about Apple. But let's talk about Amazon first. <laughs> you've been really focused on Amazon. This is Bezos' first appearance before Congress. What does that what does that look like? What does that scrutiny look like? What does that danger look like? Right. So I mean, Bezos is a mega billionaire. It's really it's crazy. But the thing with Amazon and what they got in the most trouble with most recently is what Casey brought up earlier. Small businesses and small third party sellers on the platform are constantly talking about the data that Amazon has over them and their products and their ability to be like, um, there's that Wall Street Journal story that came out earlier this summer, where it basically talked about how I think it was like car holders, like cup holders or some kind of seat holders or something. And um, there's a company that made them sold really great, made a ton of profit, and then Amazon made a dupe, right? This is the traditional Amazon antitrust case so story. So that came out earlier this year in the Wall Street Journal where they had spoken and some stuff had come out that employees were looking at that data actively. I think that'll be a main highlight because that's what triggered um, House Judiciary threatening to subpoena Bezos just a couple months ago, right? So that, of course, also like algorithms and how they place their products 
on the um, marketplace, right? But I think when it comes down to it, the notes from Bezos traditionally when it comes to competition has always been, but customers love us. Um, we give the customer what they want. The customer gets a great product. They get a great experience. And what makes that anti-competitive, right? This is a benefit to, this is, this is a benefit to the consumer, right? This, there is no consumer harm here if they love the experience and the product. So I, I think that's basically what we're going to hear from Bezos on that is like, if they can optimize Amazon in a way, if they can make better products for cheaper prices or whatever, even though they don't want to say that. It's all about the user experience. It's all about how happy customers are. That's what I would bet the main kind of line coming from Bezos would be. I'm very interested to see what his general demeanor, like you can, you can predict what Sundar is going to do. We've talked to Sundar a lot. Sundar is just, he's going to be very calm. He's very gentle. He's not going to be mad. Zuckerberg is just good at this now, right? He's just a pro. He's been trained. Tim Cook is Tim Cook. Like he has a very narrow range of tonalities to begin with. Like you have to be an expert Tim Cook watcher to triangulate. Like Bezos has a temper. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not. I'm going to be this guy. I've talked to Bezos in person a handful of times. Uh, he has this huge. He used to have this huge laugh, and he was really personal and charismatic. He still is that, and uh, but he also has this thing in person where you feel like he's one of those people that just like is giving you the straight talk, and you're like, oh. Yeah, no, he's like really pragmatic and reasonable. And then you walk away and then like 20 minutes later, you're like, wait a minute. You're like, I don't um, have my wallet anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have no idea how much of that translates to a Zoom call or yeah. a Blue Jeans call or a Blue Webex jeans. or whatever. It'd be amazing if they use Blue Jeans, <laughs> <laughs> which was recently acquired by Verizon. Uh, I, I've also heard that Disney is bailing on Blue Jeans uh, and they're going to, to Zoom internally. Oh, wow. Blue Jeans Just is awful. I just want to say Blue Jeans is awful. All right, let's talk about Apple. And I saved it for the last because, Casey, I know you and I, Apple put out a study this week. That both We declined <laughs> to cover it. I know that Lauren at Wire declined to cover it. Casey and I were both just like openly insulted by this study and sort of Apple's beginning argument. What, what I don't know, Casey, I'm just, I'm just giving you the floor here. So, um, you know, we wrote a lot recently about the developer Basecamp and their new email service, Hey, and how they could not get an app into the App Store unless they let people sign up through the App Store and pay through the App Store and then give uh, a 30% cut of all of their revenue to uh, old uh, Tim Apple. And <laughs> a lot of people were outraged about that. And it sort of brought fresh attention to the question of, wait, why do why does anyone who's selling a digital good on the App Store have to give thirty percent of their revenue to to Tim Cook? And what came back was uh, Apple decided to hire a bunch of economists to Google the wait. Say the name of the firm. The name of the firm is amazing. They have the best name. They're called the Analysis Group. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's very good. Not since the Washington football team have we heard a name that so perfectly encapsulates the activities of the organization as the analysis group. So they get the analysis group in to do what they do best. And they find a bunch of percentages from a bunch of app stores. And, you know, it turns out that uh, largely in the aftermath of Apple declaring that it would take 30% of everything, a bunch of other people decided to take 30% <laughs> of everything. Um, and Apple presented this as evidence that, you know, it's, a, it's just a fair player in the market. And this is just what companies do. And there are a lot of people who want to be free riders out there. But, you know, Tim Cook isn't going to stand for it. 
Did not that I want to take this study seriously on its merits, but did any of those other marketplaces that take a cut have an exclusive monopoly on providing services on a platform? Well, like well, sure. the only way to rent an Airbnb is to do it on Airbnb, right? Okay. So if sure. you, you know, so to to some extent, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't know. This stuff does get sort of complicated. I do think that there are a lot of cases in which Apple should be able to charge a percentage of revenue. I think what made the the base camp case galling was they just wanted like to create a basically functional email app and Apple said no, like we have to own your customer if you want to do that on our phone. And if you see Apple as just, you know, one company in a sea of smartphone makers, you could maybe understand that. But when you have a global duopoly, that argument just doesn't play anymore. The um, I'm looking at this list. I've opened this study from the analysis group. Uh, first of all, I I don't know if people know this. Is the analysis group made out of dentists? And four <laughs> out of five of them agree. Uh, the, the, there's like a lot of these firms out there. The analysis group is just uh, hilariously named. Um, you know, if you go to their website, it's a lot of analysis group expert helps pharmaceutical firm win lawsuit because there is an entire industry of expert witnesses that if you're in a lawsuit, you can hire, and then they will be your expert. This is like a real thing that happens and they'll be your expert and they will go off and crunch the data and come back so that at trial they can say, your honor, like my client is right. And then the other side hires another expert and they come back and like, this is a thing that happens and you, whatever. It's like, very uh, and we're, we've considered hiring the counter analysis group <laughs> yes. just to rebut. <laughs> like there's a part of me that's like, I should just start one of these expert witnesses for, I would make so much money. Like how much money did Apple pay the analysis group to Google everyone's rates? Right. Like, that's what is happening here. I'm guessing it was quite a payday for the folks over at the analysis group. But you look at their list of competitors that they've they've put up. Right. And what you just quickly becomes obvious is that there's the Google Play Store, which has a similar rate. But you can sideload. You can actually install other app stores on uh, Android phones. And you can pay however you can you could app developers can use whatever payment method they want, uh, except for games. Games are forced to use Google's payment system, but everybody else can do whatever the hell they want. It, because games are full of the whales. That's why. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, Let's well, be honest I mean, about how all these companies make money. Like <laughs> they are protecting a bunch of uh, Candy Crush revenue. That's really what's it's a heart of this. It is not as noble as anybody wants to make it seem. And then all the other ones are failures. Like who cares that the Samsung Galaxy Store takes a thirty percent cut? Is it anyone? Like who does anyone even run the Samsung Galaxy? Like it, it just like fundamentally doesn't matter. And then, you know, they have listed Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, which are closed platforms in different kinds of markets. The Amazon app store is on here, but like that is a side note for fire device. Like it's just a bunch of stuff that the Microsoft store is on here. The award winning successful Microsoft windows <laughs> store. It's like none of this stuff actually operates at the scale or in the same way as the app store. And I, I, as they were sort of presented, it's just like, this is your best argument. This is what you got. But here's, I think here's what's actually the best argument is that you're right. None of those other stores matter, but right now the law doesn't recognize any differences between any of them, right? Like legally they're all the same. And so if you're Apple, of course you're going to feel unfairly singled out, right? Like you're looking at a law that says that all app stores can operate, you know, basically however they want to, but because Apple succeeded, now we're all mad at them. And, you know, yeah, you can't have a separate rule for companies that are good at their job. Exactly. And so I do think this is a case where Congress should probably clarify legally 
badly if it doesn't want Apple to operate the way it's been operating. And I don't want Apple to op- continue operating the way it's been operating. I mean, I just I'm outraged that the Kobo bookstore takes 30 percent for ebooks over two ninety nine, which is a finding of the analysis group like this just feels <sighs> like distraction in a way that doesn't hit at the heart of what's the I think Casey said what's interesting about the hate controversy. It's a yeah. it's a sidestep from it instead of addressing it directly. And it to me, it, it feels like Apple's beginning its defense by pointing out the rates are the same. And it didn't it didn't get any take up on it. It, it did not, uh, because for all the reasons we've just said, but there, there's a big thing that we've left out so far, which is that not only is Apple taking a 30% cut, but it is making competitive products and not charging itself the same cut, right? So Spotify has famously pointed this out and gotten the European Union to investigate. You know, Spotify is in a really hard business where it has to pay most of its revenue. Most of every dollar coming in the door goes to the record labels because they do not own the music, right? And Apple has the same constraint, but Spotify Spotify is expected to give up a third in the first year, and then I think it drops to 15% the second year um, of all of the revenue it's bringing in the door. So of course, Spotify is at a huge disadvantage if it wants to operate a music service in this environment. So that's the place where I think Apple is going to be under even greater pressure than the kind we've been talking about already. McKenna, do you think that the people on the subcommittee are going to have the wherewithal and like the the info at hand and the ability to push back on the first PR answer that on its face sounds reasonable. When they go after Tim Apple and they're like, blah, 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 how dare you? And he's like, well, you know, the Kobo bookstore also charges 30%. Are they going to be able to respond and like push him or push Bezos or whoever? Right. I'm surprised I haven't said this yet. So this committee has received 1.3 million documents in this investigation. (laughs) (laughs) So... My answer, briefly, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have spent a year going through all these documents. I, I think they will have the proper receipts out. And I think that, for the most part, will be covered. I was spe- Somebody said in a call the other day, um, some senior aide on the committee was like, I think we have enough material here to avoid evasion um, wow. from these people. So... I would be, I'm a little optimistic, right? 1.3 million documents is a lot of documents. <laughs> All right. We're going way long in this segment. I do want to talk about two other things. There's a little bit of like extra antitrust action happening. It feels like Slack felt left out. So it filed, a, <laughs> <laughs> it filed a lawsuit. Credit to Slack in the knifiest way possible. On Microsoft Earnings Day, uh, Slack filed an action in Europe saying that Microsoft was unfairly bundling teams. Casey, We've, I feel like this is just one of those things that's floating around. Does this feel like the same kind of thing to you? I don't know. I, this is one where I don't have as developed a view. I think at a high level, yes, it does look very similar, right? Like Slack makes a paid product. It was growing really fast. Then Microsoft introduced a clone, but gave it away as part of an existing product and so started to grow much faster and has really cut into Slack's growth. At the same time, the whole reason Microsoft has that model now is because Google looked at Microsoft Word and said, well, what if we just give that away for free as part of what is essentially (laughs) a bundle with Gmail? And they didn't get in any trouble for that, right? So I think that that's kind of... an interesting thing to to think about. But, you know, again, go to the highest level. Microsoft's original antitrust case was about what they were bundling together in order to hurt the competition. And so 
just as you could ask, well, isn't a browser an obvious and necessary feature of any computer operating system? You could also ask, isn't chat functionality an essential function of any workplace productivity software? So th- th- these questions like re- do wind up looking pretty similar. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, I think Slack is just they're, they're working a hard road here. I think they went to Europe because, you know, the European antitrust kind of officials, they like doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like they want to earn their paychecks. Ours like hearings for a year. You know, it's like <laughs> we're not like a swift antitrust country. I don't I think bundling the, the browser into your operating system in the 90s to crush Netscape and basically being super brazen about it. Right, like the facts of the situation matter. Microsoft was like, Netscape's a threat. We have to kill it, yeah. right? And they, they sent, like, Bill Gates, like, emailing his team, being like, kill it. Is it dead? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, those are the emails. Like, that, it was not, they were not playing nice. They weren't, like, friend tweeting each other. And then, like, they were just, like, emailing each other. We're, we're going to kill them. In this case, Microsoft Office 365 is a recurring subscription product. The promise is that it, you pay them money every month and it improves. And they've built this other thing. Stuart Butterfield was on the Vergecast last month and he's like, their real competitor is Zoom. It's not us. So that Slack has got a real problem with that line because they, they keep saying they're not a real competitor. They're more a video conferencing competitor. But at the same time, come on, like you type text into a box and then lots <laughs> of people see it, right? Um, and it may be that like, it's not so much that it's a direct competitor to Slack to like, if I'm a current Slack user, I'm going to switch to Teams because my company also happens to pay for Office. It's more like if my company already pays for Office, I'm not going to bother looking at Slack in the first place because I've already got Teams and I'm just going to stick with what I've got because it's good enough. So it's not about it's 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 about like competing for future customers that don't exist or haven't existed, like looked at your product yet, more so than it is a direct like head to head. We're on the same shelf and you pick between one or the other. Yeah, and I, I just like that's the new model for software now is you pay a subscription fee and then stuff happens. Yeah. Right. And like I don't love that model. Like I, I think it would be better if you every year the new version of Slack came out and the new version of Teams came out and people were making decisions. But we have moved to this recurring revenue model. Office 365 is like a good product. Like it works across everywhere. Right. But this gets to the heart of the problem. Office 365 is a good product used by one point something billion people or whatever, should the rules be different for a big tech company when it comes to like improving your software and putting more, putting more features and more stuff into the bundle than for non-giant tech companies? I th- and this is why I think it's way harder for Slack. I think the conversation we had about this next week's hearing, the problems for all those companies, mm-hmm. they're pretty clear cut. I feel like I can explain them or y- you all can do a good job just explaining them to anyone. What's the problem with Amazon? They see that anything is selling well, and then they crush that company by making their own and delisting it. Like, easy. Everybody gets it. We don't think Microsoft should be able to improve its products and add more features for the same price because Slack is cool and has a nice logo. Like, that is a way harder sell policy-wise. Also, Slack has a terrible logo. What are you talking about? I don't know. Well, I I was thinking of the original, right, the plaid hashtag. Um, well, look, Slack's logo is bad now, so they should be crushed into a blender. It's really what I've <laughs> arrived at. I just think it's way harder. But that is going on. We're covering it a lot. Uh, Tom wrote this piece that I would just like everyone to react to, which is that the big winner in the Slack Microsoft fight should be Google, because Google's no one's paying attention to it in the background. It's just shoving everything into Gmail, like it's sh- and like everyone has G Suite. Like so many companies have G. We have G Suite. 
So if mm-hmm. Meet and like Google, whatever their chat product is called and blah, 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 all ends up in Gmail, like why would you pay for any of this? Have you heard the good news about Meet? <laughs> Do you know you can add Meet to anything from any piece of software in America now? <laughs> It's just not working. Like so much of this is dependent on Google executing of all things, a messaging strategy. (laughs) So I, I love the idea that Google could be the winner, but I, I don't know that, um, executing a messaging strategy is where it's going to win. Last thing I want to talk to about with both of you in particular is TikTok. McKenna, it seems like the let's ban TikTok rhetoric is heating up even more. Right. So TikTok has a history in Congress now. Josh Hawley has basically been the main guy out to get TikTok. But okay, so for like the past like year, year and a half, Josh Hawley has had some hearings. He's invited TikTok to testify. And then he's done these like wrestling style like hype reels on Twitter where he just like shows like an empty TikTok chair and it's like where are they and it's like weird guitar music I'll find it for you is our personal information being made less secure by big tech because of their partnerships with uh, some of these questionable regimes they exist. There's at least two of these. <laughs> oh my God. So th- this has happened. We've been waiting. Um, all of this kind of happened when Mike Pompeo, like randomly one night on Fox News, was like, yeah, we're thinking about banning TikTok. Like, and that's basically all he said. And then, of course, everyone's like, what is happening? So the government can't really do a lot to ban TikTok. Addy, our colleague here um, on the policy desk, did a wonderful story um, talking about all the ways that they could kind of get around um, banning them. But the one thing the government can do is ban other people in government from using TikTok <laughs> on their devices. So um, this week, the House approved a Josh Hawley bill that would ban federal employees from using TikTok on their devices. And then just yesterday, earlier this week, it made it through the Senate committee. So all it needs now is a vote on the Senate floor to be approved and a signature and TikTok is banned from federal devices. I mean, military TikTok is not a small community. No, it's huge. No, it's not. It's huge. It's huge. I watch a lot of fighter jets land on aircraft carriers on my TikTok. I have like a very bad dad TikTok algo. (laughs) Your For You page is very different from mine. So federal employees banned from using it. Is there any further motion? Like there are moves, right? You could like get, you could say it's a Chinese company. We don't want them. Like we did Mm -hmm. it to Huawei, right? But we... We basically banned companies from buying Huawei equipment. How would you how would you do that with TikTok? We have this problem all the time with like what regulator deals with tech? No one has any idea. <laughs> or they they want a piece of it and then they fight over it and it's a nightmare. So that's part of the problem. We don't have a federal agency that really organizes around like tech regulation at all. So it's not like you can just go knocking on the FTC's door and be like, "Excuse me, Chairman Simons, please ban TikTok." You can't do that. So in, in the same way that the FCC and a Jeep Pie can be like, "No money." goes to Huawei and then here's some money to dig it up and get it out of your system. Like we don't have the infrastructure for that. And I think that's primarily like the biggest problem here. I mean, there's a couple of things that you could do with like foreign investment, CFIUS stuff. It's like all incredibly wonky, but it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible to just ban an app. And that would have to do with like talking to Apple and Google and app stores and having, you know what I mean? Having to 
completely direct what how they operate in some way. We just got done with a huge discussion about how Apple has a monopoly on uh, app distribution on the iPhone. Google doesn't on Android, but they might may as well for most intents and purposes, especially here in the U.S. So if they can strong arm Apple and Google and just pulling them off the app store, that like gets pretty close. I mean, they're like Donald Trump is like one iPhone tariff threat away, right? I mean, but like, I don't know if anybody's going to pull it off now. Casey, one thing that strikes me is uh, even on my extremely lame dad TikTok, I see so many creators saying TikTok is getting banned. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Like it just a, it's a trend all over the place. And obviously Trump and sort of the Republican side of the, the world are like TikTok is Chinese. We hate it. Uh, Trump is, I think, particularly pissed because of the, the rally narrative around TikTok. That's what Russell was saying to us last week. TikTok also just delivers a lot of information to people and young voters in particular in an opaque algorithmic feed like that. It feels like your zone. Has this bubbled up beyond just a bunch of noise for you? Yeah, I mean, like this is a, a Ben Thompson point, which is that China has been in an information war with the United States for 20 years and Americans have just pretended it doesn't exist. Right. Like the point he makes over and over again is China started this fight. Uh, American social networks are not allowed to operate in China. And so the fact that an algorithmically based feed that is totally opaque, that is operating inside our borders, should raise at least some national security concerns, right? Like the kind of um, threat you worry about is, you know, what if the Communist Party uh, decides that it just wants to push a lot of pro-Trump propaganda in the run-up to the election? You know, it just because it would it would sow some chaos and it would benefit them, regardless of how likely you think that is to happen. The fact is that it could happen. And so should the the country have some sort of response to that? How should it think about that? Um, And you can take different views on it. But I do think the thinking about what TikTok is and how it could be used has been unsophisticated because as with every social product, when it first gets started, we all look at it and we think, oh, this is fun. This is a toy. Nothing bad could ever come from teenagers doing dances. Um, And then, you know, fast forward to the 2016 election. Has no one ever watched Footloose? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Look what happened once they allowed dancing in that town. A lot of people think that's a happy story. I don't. I think that that is a movie about how a town was ruined through dancing. Wow. Okay. It's been too long. Thank you both for uh, coming on. We Monday's going to be a big day. We're going to have a lot going. So look for coverage across all of the antitrust hearing stuff. And then Casey uh, is starting an all-dancing TikTok feed, I believe. That's right. Follow me on TikTok. <laughs> it's the, the first interface uh, multimedia extension. Oh, I can't wait. It's a TikTok. All right. Thank you both. I'll talk to you later. We're going to take a break. Uh, you're going to hear uh, next from Andrew and Megan talking about all the Xbox games news that happened this week. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. 
It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hello, this is Megan Frogmesh with The Verge, and I'm here today with Andrew Webster. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, just ready to talk about some Xbox. So, Webster, you are the games editor here, and I am a games reporter here. Mm -hmm. And yesterday we watched a conference from Microsoft about the Xbox Series X. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was kind of their first big showcase uh, for games specifically. Stuff people really wanted them to talk about, like price or release date. There was no mention of the much rumored cheaper Xbox that our colleague Tom has reported on quite a bit. Um, it was just entirely focused on games uh, that are coming to the Series X and other Xbox platforms, of which there are many. Okay, here's the thing. I actually really prefer that because for me, any reason to buy a console is going to be the games coming to it. So whenever they do events like this where they're just like, here's like 20 things that you'll want to buy, that's mostly for me. They're specifically making it for me. Thank you, Microsoft. Yeah, and they, they had a lot of uh, specifically like their, their first party stuff, the Microsoft Studios stuff um, they were showing off with Halo obviously being the one uh, kind of key component in that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like a new console without a new Halo. Halo Infinite is pretty, and it looks big. And can you tell that I'm not a Halo player? I don't know. Do you mess around with it much? Uh, I'm not super huge on it. I mean, I think it looks like a Halo game. It sounds like they're doing some interesting stuff. They've said there's not going to be sequels, so it's some kind of servicey game that will keep being updated. Um, but it's not really clear how that's going to work. But I mean, it looks like a big showcase Halo game. So there's that. We have confirmed it is a Halo game. So for me personally, one of the most exciting reveals didn't happen until the very end, and it was like a bare-bones reveal, but there's going to be a new Fable, which we haven't gotten a new one since, oh, I want to say 2010 was when 3 came out, because they've done a couple like offshoot weird little things, but nothing like a full game. So the new Fable is being made by Playground Games, which is kind of a weird option, because they work on the Forza series. It's still really unclear like what exactly this new game will be. They're just calling it Fable right now, which is definitely not confusing at all. Yeah, my understanding is that uh, Playground has actually um, been hiring a bunch of people who have worked on some more AAA-ish open world games. So it seems like they've been staffing up for this. But even still, it's not a studio that's known for this kind of game, obviously. So um, it's hard to, to get much from knowing they're working on it in such kind of a brief tease like they showed. 
Yeah. I mean, the good news is there's also, of course, going to be a new forts on its own. We also saw Valid from Obsidian. We've got a couple other interesting games. Was there anything that stuck out to you specifically? So the the game that looked most interesting to me was uh, actually revealed during the Jeff Keighley's pre-show. Oh, we love Jeff. We're big fans of Jeff here. Of course. And it's from Yuji Naka, who's best known as the dude behind Sonic the Hedgehog, called, it has a very strange name, Balan Wonderworld. And it just kind of looks like Square Enix gave him a bunch of money to make a, a wild Nights into Dreams spiritual successor. Um, so I'm very into that. I don't actually know what that means. What <laughs> what does that mean for people like me who've never played that? Super Mario Odyssey, but very, very strange. I appreciate your pronunciation of Mario. You have a very good spin on that. It's, it's, it's the Canadian accent. Other than that, um, another game that really stuck out to me that I'm personally excited about is Don't Nods Tell Me Why. So they, of course, did the Life is Strange series. And this one looks kind of along the same lines, but outside of that actual series. So it's going to be episodic. Um, it's a little bit confusing because originally the devs said they were going to release all three at once. And then in the announcement yesterday, it said that I can't remember exactly how they phrased it, but it made it seem like maybe just the first one was coming next month. But basically, it's about... American teens, Alaskan teens who are kind of struggling with their past. Um, the big thing about this is that one of their main characters is trans and will delve heavily into his background and some of his, I guess, like emotional things growing up. So it's very interesting. With games like this, there's always quite a bit of opportunity for them to get this wrong. But so far, Don't Not has had an interesting approach. They put up an FAQ. They've been trying to, I think, handle this as well as they can. But I guess we'll see how it actually pans out. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for anything they make pretty much, so... Yeah, I really love that this French studio is so invested in telling American American based stories. They really want to capture that that feeling that we have here. Yeah, if nothing else, I hope it gets more people to play Life is Strange too, which I don't think enough people did. Oh my god, yeah, you're totally right. So another one is uh, Remedy's new game that really stuck out to me. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I actually had a chance to kind of uh, talk with some of the folks at Remedy before um, the showcase, and it's kind of a weird one. Um, so it's called Crossfire X, and it's actually like this hugely popular Korean online shooter from this studio called Smilegate. And like five years ago, they came up to Remedy and were like, hey, do you want to make a single player component to it? And that's what they're doing. So it seems kind of like a weird collaboration. But what I saw is really cool. It's it's like a military shooter, but it has like the weird Remedy-ness that you'd expect. So it almost has like some Kojima vibes to it. So I'm very, very curious to check that out when it it's finally ready to play, which is supposed to be some point this year, but not sure when. So one of the big things that stands out to me about Microsoft right now, especially versus someone like Sony, is how much they're pushing the Game Pass and how important it seems to be for their next-gen consoles. What do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty different strategy. Um, what we saw from Sony a couple weeks ago, I have no sense of time, um, with the PS5 showcase was what you kind of expect, right? It's like, here are a bunch of big exclusive games. Here's Spider-Man, here's the new Horizon Zero Dawn, and that's why you buy a PS5. But I don't need to buy an Xbox Series X to play Halo. And even if I do, I don't need to buy Halo. I just buy a subscription to Game Pass. So for, for Microsoft, the hardware is definitely more of just like an avenue to get you to buy into their subscription. I do think it's really interesting, and it's smart because it's appealing to different kinds of people who play games, right? For me personally, Sony's always been my preferred choice because I am generally attracted more to like the exclusive games the console has to offer. But this is a thing that would actually make me really interested in Microsoft. A lot of the games they showed today, eh, not a lot, but I'd say some of them are 
possibly not for me. I'm not a big shooter person, for example. Halo is not going to do much for me. But also, if it's easy to try, that makes it really easy for me to feel like I can actually jump in without having to invest in something super heavily like an Xbox Series X. Yeah, I remember um, our colleague Sam wrote a while ago when he reviewed uh, the new Gears of War that it was basically like the perfect uh, Game Pass game because like probably wouldn't buy it, but like you try it and hey, it's cool. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff like that. And I think they've been doing a really good job of kind of building it out. Like you can play most Final Fantasies through Game Pass. It's not on Game Pass, but they also just brought Dragon Quest to Xbox for the first time. So like just kind of filling it out with Microsoft, you know, things beyond Forza and Halo, obviously a very good strategy and turning it to a more Netflixy kind of service. Yeah, honestly, that's the thing that will make me super interested in this console. All right, that's it from us. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Megan Fropenesh and I report on games for The Verge. And I'm Andrew Webster. All right, thank you to Andrew and Megan. There's just like a lot of Xbox action going on. I would like to register my deep disagreement, discontent, vehement rejection of the new design of the Brutes in Halo Infinite. That's... (laughs) That's not where I thought you were going. They look terrible. Chris Plant wrote a good piece. At, this is about something else entirely. Plant wrote a good piece. Former Verge Culture editor, now editor-in-chief Polygon, Chris Plant, uh, wrote a great piece of Polygon about how Game Pass is sort of like the secret weapon mm-hmm. for Microsoft, like resetting how people think about video games. You should go read it. It's, 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 it's the thing that I, caught my attention coming out of this the most. All right, Dieter, we got, there's some gadget news, man. This is a lot. It's a grab bag time. You reviewed Sony's vlogging camera. I love it. It is called the ZV-1. They took an RX-100, and then they, like, took all the expensive parts out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they brought it down to 800 bucks. It is great because you can get started with this thing, and it's, like, a little bit of work to learn how to use it. But there's no ceiling on, like, learning more complicated stuff on it. Like, you can't put an interchangeable lens on it. It fits in your pocket. That's cool. But... You could learn how to be like a super advanced vlogger, videographer person with this camera because it has all of the same features as Sony's two and three thousand dollar cameras. You made it in your review. You made a good point about the articulating screen. So I mean, I have an RX one hundred. I'm, I'm looking at, into it right now. As a photographer, I actually prefer that it just flips up. Uh, so that is wrong. You are wrong, and that's okay. bad. Uh, you want it off to the side. Um, cause then there's less, it doesn't get in the way of any accessories you want to attach to the top of your camera. Mm-hmm. And also you want it to be fully articulating so that you can like put it off at an angle and hold the camera at weird angles or like set the camera on a tripod and then be able to look at it like down from beneath it or to the side or whatever. Yeah. Um, the problem with that screen is they, um, it doesn't work with polarized sunglasses because <laughs> they cheaped out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Wait, so, but can you do, cause I, I mean, the thing I've, photograph the most is my child and she's small and so it's low right it's low so i just flip it up 90 degrees yeah so you this one you have to flip it out to the side and then turn it 90 degrees but you get you get the same angle if you want it yeah yeah okay i might buy one of these things i mean i miss the evf most the most because i use that a lot because i did took a lot of photos but it's great and i i want you to buy one because your rx100 is focus hunting and the focus <laughs> on the zv1 oh my god I don't know if I can express how goddamn fast and accurate it is. <laughs> it is nuts. Uh, Sony's eye autofocus thing where it, it like grabs onto an eye. It's kind of gimmicky. 
Uh, but it's way better than Face, and it is so fast and so accurate, and it works on animals. That's all incredible. The problem is, unless you know for sure you're going to, like, break out into the really complicated stuff with that thing, at a basic level, first day out of the box, using it as a first-time vlogger, your iPhone is going to take better video. Full really? Stop. It really is. Like, you'll be better at it. Um, you need to, like, you need to get through that valley of, like, learning how to do the slightly more advanced stuff to get slightly more advanced features. That's not a reason not to buy it, though, because, like, it's useful to not have your phone be your camera because you want your phone in your pocket and you want your camera to do other stuff. So, like, I don't think that's reason not to get it. But I do think that there's a, it's a weird thing because, like, if you really know what you want, you probably want interchangeable lenses, you want to spend some more money, blah, 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 or you just want to use your phone and you're fine with that. So there's this weird middle zone where it lands. And I live in that middle zone, and so I love it, but I don't pretend that everybody else does. I just like the idea that you're pushing me to buy an $800 webcam. Yeah. No, I think you should. Okay. <laughs> Noted. There seems like uh, a lot of Samsung rumors and hints ahead of an event in September. Yeah. Well, so we've got the event in August where we're expecting the Note 20 and whatever else. But then there's going to be another event in September. And the thing that's confusing about Samsung is we were expecting, like, here's all the stuff that's going to happen in August. And then they just went ahead and announced the, uh, the Z Flip 5G ahead of time. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, like 5G costs 70 bucks because that's how much more it costs than the regular Z Flip, I guess. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't actually believe that, but I kind of believe it a little bit. So there's also the Fold 2. And so is that going to be in August or will they wait till September or will they just announce it for what, whatever the hell they're going to do? So Samsung's just got a bunch more stuff than I kind of expected happening in the fall. Usually it's like Samsung does the Note, there's like IFA in the world, and then we all like take a breath and get ready for Apple and then get ready for Google. But it seems like Samsung's got enough stuff that they want to do more and be more in the conversation through those other events. And I also personally think, I wrote this in the news, the processor newsletter a little while ago, actually a long while ago, that Samsung is looking for a new Halo device. Because the S20 isn't it because it's like the every person device. Everybody buys the A51. So what is it? It's not the Note because the Note is basically just a, a S20 with a stylus. The Ultra was a whiff. Well, there's this rumor that the Ultra will have like Xbox tie-in. Like that's a that's a move. Yeah, but it's a move. But it it I think it's going to be the Xbox phone in the same way that the S20 is like the Office phone, right? Or the Note had Office integration, right? It had your phone built in. You're not going to be able to do anything with Microsoft xCloud or whatever they end up calling it on the Note that you wouldn't be able to do on, I think, any other Android phone. Could be wrong. There might be some special optimizations, blah, 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 blah. But uh, I strongly suspect it will not be the reason to buy a Samsung phone because I continue to believe that the idea that there is such a thing as a gaming Android phone, there's a new new super high-end, I think it was a ROG phone that came out this week. I've got people now in my DM or my in my tweets like telling me, no, I'm a I'm a pro gamer and I use Android as my primary platform. I will talk to you. I'm gonna reply to you. I see you. I, I'm eager for you to prove to me that you're real. <laughs> what kind of catfishing scheme is this? <laughs> says Dieterbone. <laughs> but new TV stuff in September is the other rumor here. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like what do you what do you want out of a Samsung TV? Just like explain QLED, like make the wall actually like accessible. Like what do you want from them? Honestly, I not to run Tizen. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, like it's, just, it's like what. I just won't buy one at this point. Like I don't, we were in the, we have a room dedicated to the streaming wars, the Julia room as I, as I think of it. It's really where Julia just like takes notes throughout the day <laughs> so she can like organize her coverage. It's great. But like one of the things she was talking about today is like every interface is bad, right? Like every streaming app, every streaming platform. And like, I just think Samsung's 
interface. It's like just the worst of them all. Like it, it has the most ads. It pushes you towards the most things. And like they sell the most TVs. So that's fine. But that's like, I don't know. Every time I think about Samsung's TV aspirations, the fact that their interface is the most disconnected from any of the content services that I might want to use. They all get super crufty over time too. Like even even LG's like like LG had the really nice reboot with WebOS and they had Beanbird and whatever. But looking at it now, like they've they've thrown a bunch of IoT controls in it, and it's just like I don't. I, the, the fact that these TVs have such a long lifespan, like you you own it for five or ten years, there's just no way that any of these companies have the like restraint to to think that far ahead and to think about what they want their UI to be and to be clean that far ahead. They just uh, will always give into the money of throwing another crappy thing on it. Yeah, and then you can always just you can always just buy a thirty dollars Fire Stick and like yeah. some professional UI designers might help you out. So you have Amazon. <laughs> that was my segue to the next one. Ah. Uh, Alexa is going to be able to launch apps on Android and iOS, which seems like a huge. It's weird to me that it took them this long to get here. So what this is, is deep linking. So you can link to like when you click on the notification on a tweet, it goes directly to the tweet in theory. And right now it's broken on the iPhone because everything is terrible. But Alexa hasn't been able to just send you directly into like the third screen on an app or something because it didn't just support deep linking. So they they turn that on. The question is uh, who's asking for it and how much useful it get? Because right now, if you want to, you can like, Make an Android phone, sell an Android phone, or set up an Android phone where Alexa is your primary digital assistant instead of Google. You can just do that, but nobody does. At best, it's like they're on the side next to it because Google forces all their OEMs to, you know, play ball. But if they are able to, I don't know, throw a bunch of money at developers or like increase the functionality and its interoperability with other apps, it could, in theory, maybe make it a viable competitor to at least a Google Assistant, you know, as far as Siri competing with Siri. I mean, one, you can't because Apple controls a platform. And two, like, the Siri need competition? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to <laughs> duck on Siri. Actually, speaking of uh, iOS being a closed platform, you know how you can use this Mac app on a server to, like, get iMessage on an Android phone? It, like, basically yes. mirrors it. It's super insecure or whatever. Uh, someone has made one of those for the Pebble smartwatch. <laughs> it's amazing. That's great. Like the old school e-ink display pebble. Yeah, you could finally get iMessage on a pebble, you know, four years after they they got bought. But you can send, you can always get them. Yeah, but you can reply to them now. That's amazing. How long does typing a reply, is it just quick replies? I have no idea. I got to dig out my pebble. Uh, speaking of the iPhone, iPhone rumor season is like slowly beginning. I have no idea if there's going to be an iPhone in September. We assume. There's a rumor that it's going to get pushed to October now. Right, like well, the, the 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 sales will get pushed to October. Right, but yeah. in our usual cadence of things around now, like iPhone rumor, like September is not so far away. Right, our usual cadence would be okay. Rumors are starting to heat up. We don't, we just don't know. But uh, the last beta of iOS fourteen says it'll be a five point four inch iPhone. Yeah. So the deal is, uh, if. In, in iOS, you can, like, scale. And so if you want to, like, double size, what it does is it grabs the scale from a smaller iPhone model and, like, puts it on your bigger screen or whatever, if that makes sense. And so there's a new scaling that seems to imply that there's a 5.4-inch size. Um, 
obviously, I always want there to be, um, you know, options for everybody. And I think that, I, you know, one of the nice things about Android is you can get whatever form factor you want. And it's annoying that you can't do that on iOS. And I know lots of people really wanted a smaller iPhone, especially when the new iPhone SE came out. I was like, oh, it's still big. I never believed Apple would do this. I find it weird that they're doing it now if, the, if in fact, this rumor pans out. And that's all, like, I'll be very curious to see if it happens. Uh, I'll also be very curious to see just flat out how many models of iPhone is Apple going to have in the store come, like, say, November? Like, because if there's a 5.4, then there's a regular iPhone, like XR11, whatever, 11 style, like, let's call it 12. Then there's the Pro. Then there's the Pro Max. And, like, that's four. And then there's the SE, so that's five. It's bad. Yeah. Honest to God, if this thing happens, like, Apple has gone full Samsung. Like Samsung has a phone for every like slice of the market, and it seems like Apple is going in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it, the it's ten years later. Like they need a full product. It's like saying like Ford sells too many cars. Like, <laughs> okay, fair. like right? There's like a full mature market with lots of segments. They're gonna fill them all. So they usually knock out right when this the pattern with sort of the iPhone tens of the world, right? Has been they knock out. They don't just bring them all down in price. They knock one out. So there's the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8. And then they, when the 10s came out, the, they weren't selling the iPhone 10 anymore, but they carried forward the eight for a while. Now there's the 11. They knock, they didn't, they don't sell the 10s anymore. They have the 10 R like, right. They're, they're shifting more. They're not doing their usual thing where they just sell the old one for the same, for less right. money. Right. So the question is, which will they knock out? I bet they, the pros go away. There are no more 11 what? pros. Right there's there'll be a twelve pro. There'll be a twelve. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they knocked out the ten R. They might knock out the eleven. Nah, I don't know, man. See, this is this is why it's complicated. Yeah, I think that like that muddle, like they'll have it'll be clear what the top end is. It'll be clear what the bottom end is if it's this new smaller size. Then it's like the SC, the eight, the ten R. Like, what happens to all of those? I bet the elevens kind of fade away, and then there's a twelve and a twelve pro. Hey, speaking of speaking of Ford, sorry. Like, I I, no I wish I had an answer for what I expect, but it's so confusing. The fact that it's confusing is like on Apple, and it's like we're gonna have to recontextualize how we think about how Apple sells the iPhone. It used to be the iPhone was like singular, and then Android was like everything in a mess. Yeah. And now it's we don't we're not gonna live in that world anymore, and I think that's fine. Um, but I need to ask you what you think of this fourteen hundred horsepower uh, Mustang Machi. It's hilarious. I think you can only run for like two hours or something. Yeah, they like had to bring the battery down. So they, the Mach-E is the electric Mustang SUV. I have a lot of feelings about that. It looks, I've seen it in person. It looks very nice. They made a, they just made a hot rod version. And so the thing about electric cars is like, it's pretty hard to hot rod them. Like all you can do is really juice up the battery. Like a, reg, yeah. like a regular engine is a very complicated system and you can adjust every part of it. Well, their solution here is they just added more electric motors. It has seven. Yeah, they added more <laughs> motors and like the motors are higher and then they added uh, really complicated batteries. I think their point is like, look, we still have these moves and this car is really fast and it's hot rod. Yeah. The more interesting for it is obviously the Bronco, which has nothing to do with technology. <laughs> so, uh, the Bronco's user interface is a new version of Sync, which looks really cool. Input had a piece uh, noting that in the tease for the new Sync system, there appears to be a complicated hybrid Bronco coming, at which point it will be a tech story, and we can talk about the Ford, new Ford Bronco. <laughs> that's, all you, that's all you want. <laughs> I've been trying to <laughs> squeeze that angle in. Uh, okay, last one. This is actually a big deal. I saved it for last for a reason. Beans. Beans. It's not Your the beans. Galaxy Beans. Samsung Galaxy Beans. Okay, damn it. All right. It's not the Galaxy Beans. We talked a lot about the shakeup in Pixel World. Mark Lavoie, who was in charge of the cameras, left Google. 
that seemed a little bit, we actually talked about it with Sundar, mm-hmm. right? It seemed like there's a little bit more drama inside that team than we're hearing. Mark Lavoie has landed at Adobe yeah, to build a camera app that might work across every Android phone. Or Wait, maybe every phone. Maybe it'll like, there is, there is the, the Photoshop camera app on the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't want to stake too much on Adobe executing with any speed. <laughs> just don't. But that's one of those moves where it's like, okay, if Adobe gets big into actual camera apps that work across everything, like maybe a lot of these arguments like change in some way. About which phone to get because the camera is good or not? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it, it all depends on how much access they get to the raw data. It depends how fast the processor is. Like, I mean, how much have we heard about Apple building image processing right into the chip, into the pipeline, their ISP? Like, yes, many, many, many variables. At the same time, this is a guy who took off the shelf sensors for Google and made what at the time, the Pixel 2, like an exponential leap in camera quality that everyone else had to compete with. Like, that's pretty amazing. So what I am, I'm, I am, Excited for the idea of like Gcam for all without weird hacking, right? Like that fundamentally is what I'm most excited about. But if you stop and think about it, you know how like more and more phones will let you shoot in RAW or some kind of computed RAW or whatever. That's really useful for post-processing in Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever. Imagine a world where Lightroom and Photoshop have a deep understanding and a direct connection to the process of computational photography at the moment of image capture in the first place. So you, you know, you use the Photoshop camera app or whatever the Adobe camera app is, and it makes a bunch of choices and it stores a bunch of data and metadata about the image. But then that data and metadata becomes a thing that you can work with and manipulate or just at the app will have knowledge of inside Photoshop or Lightroom. So instead of just working with all of the decisions that were made when it like reduced it down to a JPEG or reduced it to a computed RAW, and it just like got the static file out of the camera app and then Photoshop has to just work with that, it could work with the full complement of inputs that the camera had soup to nuts. That is a very interesting world. So that's like... I mean, the basis of all of this is multiple exposure HDR, right? The camera takes multiple frames. So what if you could deliver a different HDR merge, right? Like, that's a question that we know none of these phones have been able to answer. They don't, Apple certainly is never going to let you do it. But even an app like Halide, which I love, they deliver a smart raw and they don't do the other thing. And certainly, even if they did deliver some sort of let you re-merge or tweak the merge, there's no app ecosystem to support that. Yeah. So you're saying you can get all the way there? Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, I never assume Adobe will execute on anything. And they'll show you a preview in 2022, and it'll arrive in 2024, right? The flip side of this whole conversation is, what the shit is going on with the Pixel? (laughs) (laughs) What? uh, You probably know better than anybody what the shit's going on with the Pixel. I mean, we're waiting on the 4A. Who knows? We expected it in May. The latest rumors are, um, I think, uh, 9 to 5 Google put together a really good like summary of what we think we know so far. And it's like the 4A, and then there won't be a big 4A, and there will be a 5G version, and there'll be a pixel. Like It's like a mess, right? And like the main thing to know is like it looks pretty clear that the Pixel 5 is not going to attempt to take on the S20 and the iPhone 11 or iPhone 12 Pro head-on, that it's going to go with a Snapdragon 765 processor, uh, which is a little bit lower end. Um, you can actually look at a 
review of that right now. Uh, Sam reviewed the LG Velvet. It's a little pokey, right? Now, assuming that there's some big reset happening because Rick Osterler realized that he should look at the phones before they get, you know, finalized, <laughs> um, I'm fine with this because, like, go ahead and stop atta- stop being judged as though you're trying to release a flagship that doesn't measure up. Make a make a mid-range phone that owns being a mid-range phone or, you know, high mid-range or whatever. Um, go for that. That's great. Super cool. Do it. But man, it's like, how many times have we said, yeah, we're okay with Google releasing a Pixel that's like acceptable this year, but next year they really got to pull it off, right? How many years are we going to do that? I feel like I've been doing it for the past two years and like, I think it's going to happen again this year. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder, We just similar to that Apple question, like so many models, right? They're, the market's so segmented. Is it where to, like Google isn't, their product line is not nearly that mature, Right. Like they don't have a they don't have a thing to sell to everybody. Breaking in at the high end seems great, but impossibly hard. And then competing with the like the A51s of the world or the iPhone SCs of the world kind of seems even harder because all of those come in family plan bundles or carrier subsidy schemes like like there's a kind of deal making to sell that phone that Google is not good at. Yep. No, that's like the A51 does well because they have all those carrier partners and because it has a big ass screen uh, or the A50 did. I'm assuming the A51 is doing quite well right now. And then, you know, the iPhone SE is just like, it's the it's the inexpensive iPhone. People who want an iPhone, they want the cheap one. That's what they're going to get. And so, you know, I don't know that Google's ever going to figure out those deals. They certainly haven't to date. They've like, they had this thing with Verizon and that like didn't get them anywhere. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like the it's funny because, you know, the story, the the story of Android is that Verizon picked Android instead of Palm. Yeah, and that's why Android is successful. You just had you just had to bring it up, didn't you? Well, it's there. But like I just I every night again, I like to remember that before that happened, Verizon was like, we're going to make the BlackBerry storm happen. Yeah. And it just didn't happen. Nope. And so, like, we often give Verizon credit for making Android appear in this way. But like. Verizon's stamp of approval. It's like <laughs> kind of hit or miss. All right. We've gone way too long. I wanted to half talk about Windows 10X, but it just feels like no one knows what's going on. Well, it's because it half exists. But it's a dual screen, so it's, it's just Windows. No, but now it's now it's single screen primarily. But I don't know. Yeah. They cut out half. Anyway, it's coming to 2021, I guess now. Do you think Microsoft's going to put out the Surface Neo this year? The dual screen. They keep posting pictures of like. Did you see this photo, Panos today? Like there was a a, tw- a a tweet of him using it and had a case on it or whatever. I've been in a room with Sasha Nadella where he is using it as his phone. Yeah, no, but this 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 picture of like Panos using the phone like last week was taken with the most garbage camera you've ever seen, and we don't know what camera it was. Like, oh god, oh, because Twitter strips metadata. Is that the duo? I don't know. Uh... That's not good. All right, well, we'll see. I hope they put it out. I'm excited for some some more form factor fun. We had a big, we had a run of like, what's the next form factor? And it's like the iPhone SC came out and <laughs> sold everything. It's like, I guess one screen. Yes. I, I guess we're doing one screen for a while. All right. We have gone way too long. Thank you to Casey and McKenna. Monday is the hearing. I mean, we're, we're basically covering it with the same strategy and coverage emphasis as any other tech event. It's going to be a big deal. So Monday's the hearing tune in for that. Thank you to Andrew and Megan. Dieter reminded me yesterday that the story of gadget news for next year is the consoles. So we've got a lot of that coming. There's like their business models are changing. Their strategies are changing. There's a lot there. So thank you to those two. Thanks to Dieter. You're great. Oh, thanks. Thanks to you, Neil. I'm here. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Thanks to the listeners. That's <laughs> just thanking everyone. I'm in a, I'm in a grateful mood. Uh, you can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless Teeters at Backlon. McKenna is Kelly McKenna. Casey is Casey Newton. Megan is Megan underscore Nicolette. And Andrew is A underscore Webster. We have newsletters. Casey has the interface. Dieter has processor. Check that out. Uh, there's a new Becca video on the YouTube channel. That is great. You should always watch Becca video. And we'll be back with the interview episode on Tuesday. Our security focus continues. It's Andy Greenberg. He's the author of Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War and the Hunt for the Kremlin's Most Dangerous Hackers. It's a book about the sandworm. It's amazing. It was a great conversation. It's great. I read it. I gave it to my dad for Father's Day. It's amazing. Uh, and Andy, it was a great interview. So we're back on Tuesday. Again, hearings on Monday. Lots going on. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.